Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So how can we make this case? Well, one way we can do it is to point out to people that there's no essential difference between the embryos you once were and the adults you are today that would justify killing you at that earlier stage. Arguments cannot be religious or non-religious. Arguments can either be valid or invalid, or sound or unsound. The substance view is the idea that from when you come into existence of fertilization until you die naturally, you are the same individual at every point in your life. So if it is wrong to kill you now, it was wrong to kill you then. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Thinking, a Life Training Institute podcast in which we discuss the abortion issue and larger issues related to bioethics in a way that's winsome, reasonable, and persuasive. I'm your host, Clinton Wilcox, and today I have a very special guest joining me, a man who probably needs no introduction to a good number of my listeners. My guest for today is John Elefante. John is the former lead singer of Kansas and has also enjoyed a distinguished music career with his band Mastodon and as a solo artist. John now sings for the Jay Seculo Band, which is another name probably familiar to a good number of my listeners, as Jay Seculo is a pro-life attorney who also does work in the movement. John, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's actually a, a big honor for me to have you. I've been a fan of Kansas for a long time and a fan of yours since I had just gotten out of high school, so it's a really big honor to have you here. Oh, thank you. The first question that I have for you is a question from a listener on Facebook, Brent Taylor. He wants to know if you'd share your testimony with us. Were you raised a Christian, or did you have a conversion experience? I had a conversion experience. I I was not raised a Christian, although my mom always suggested suggested that we got involved in some capacity to you know with a church. But uh, I got saved when I was about twenty years old. Um, a friend came back into my life that I'd known most of my life. And, you know, he was a buddy that, you know, we used to just kids do and have fun. And, and anyway, to make a long story short, he came back into my life and he was noticeably different. Um, he's now a pastor of a church in Southern California, about 3,000. So he's come a long way. He was, no, he was noticeably different. And uh, he introduced me to, you know, I, 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 I always knew about God and the existence of God, and the God that had really had no role in my life at that time. He he really set a challenge for me, and um, you know I didn't get saved at first. It took me a while. He took me to some Bible studies at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Some, some of you listeners probably know about that. And you know it really started to seep in. And I think what scared me the most was how to, how I have to change my life, my music, my friends, my clothes, for that matter. <laughs> you know, the yeah. enemy the enemy doesn't want to see that conversion. So 
he's going to throw up as many roadblocks as he, as he can, and he did. Mm. And that was the scariest part, I think. And it wasn't until Mark, my, my friend Mark, that turned me out of, that brought me to the Lord, gave me a book called Evidence Demands a Verdict by um, um, Josh McDowell. Huh. And I, I read that book a, a few times, and I think there's a line in the book that, or something to the effect of that it takes more faith to not believe than to believe. And I bought into that hook, line, and sinker because I, you know, I truly believe that was true. Mm-hmm. And I called Mark and I said, "I'm ready, man. I want to, I want to get saved." And he came over to my house, and he had converted my parents' garage into an eight-track studio, yeah. and it was really soundproof. And we went in the control room, and I accepted the Lord right there. That's cool. And everything that I, everything that I feared about what I'd have to change. God took control of that, and it just worked itself out in a very profound way. And now, one of the first questions that I like to ask my guests is, why are you pro-life? Was it something that was kind of an outcropping of your Christian beliefs, or did you come to them basically independent of that? You know, I didn't I didn't used to be pro-life, and I didn't used to be pro-choice. I'm talking about many years ago, because... I never really thought about it. You know, it, it was, it was, you know, it, it just, it wasn't that important to me because I wasn't as spiritually aware as I have been in the last 20 something, 30 something years. Mm. But then, you know, uh, when it started to become an issue and, and I was challenged on what do you, you know, what do you believe about abortion? It wasn't a very hard choice for me to make that why should anybody have the right? to end a life that God has created. Mm. And I think it was especially when when my daughter, who the video, I don't know if you've seen the video this time. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, she was, she, I mean, she was literally minutes from being aborted, maybe seconds. Mm. And, um, it, uh, it, I think that's when it hit me really hard. Um, I don't know if I answered your question correctly, Clinton, but um, you know, I, I just I just decided that I, mean, I, I should back up and tell you that when I wrote that song and we did the video, it wasn't made per se to be a big pro-life statement, and I don't want your listeners to take that wrong because I am extremely mm-hmm. pro-life and I've done many speaking engagements, some with Alveda King. Um, but the song was was written from just what it is. I mean, my daughter was almost aborted. I heard the story from her birth mother and always wanted to write about it. And I written this piece of music and I said, this is the time, this is the song. This is the song where I need to tell her story. And, um, you know, so I told the story in the song. We did the video, and you know, it, it, it's just an honest. Uh, it, it's an honest. Um, it's an honest song about how she came into the world and how she almost didn't. Mm. And I, I soon realized, you know, when I started doing a lot of interviews after the song, that 
it had become come somewhat of a pro-life anthem. And I was pleased about that. It's like, you know, I didn't really intend to do that. But that's, that's, uh, that's what happened. And I was very pleased about that, actually. So would you say then that it's sort of God using the song in a way that you didn't necessarily intend, but in a way that was more toward his purpose? Well, as I was writing it, I mean, I knew that it would be controversial. Mm. Um, but that didn't bother me. I mean, you know, <laughs> Christ is controversial for that matter. Right, right. Um, I, I didn't care about that. I was willing to face the reality on that. And there was a lot of vitriol when the video came out. But uh, no, it was. I, I just told. I simply just wanted to tell the story. Mm. And if people are going to be offended, I mean, too bad. That's the way it happened. Yeah. Mm. And you know, it's really interesting to read the comments on YouTube underneath the video. Um, most most people really really like it and are really really uh, affected by it. But some people absolutely hate it, want to kill me, and wish, uh, oh. you know, wish, can- wish cancer on me, you know. <laughs> right. That's that's how that's how that's how strong of a subject matter abortion is. Mm. I mean, there there are people that are so outrageously pro-choice. You know, how dare you tell a woman to do, you know, what to do with her body? And yeah, you know, we've heard all the cliche lines. Right. But, but some of them were uh, some of them were just downright, um, almost threatening and, and just total hatred mm. at me and the song and the, and the subject. And by, by the mm. way, I, I want to add that when, when I first did the song, we tried to get it on radio because I wanted to get it out there, and uh, we couldn't get any Christian radio stations to play it. Zero. No. Mm. Nobody would play it. Too controversial. Too controversial. Too much for our listeners. Too much for our listeners. And I was blown away. And just how miraculous God works is I got a call out of the blue one day from a guy that said, hey, why don't you, you know, I I heard you talking about the fact that you tried to get the song on radio and nobody would play it. Why don't you do a video? A video doesn't have the same shelf life that a a radio single has. And I said, well, you know, don't really have the funds to make a video right now. It's, you know, what this song is about sounds like an expensive video. And he said, how about if I turn you on to a company? At the time, it was called Online for Life. Now they're called Human Coalition. Great organization. Fabulous. How about if I can get them to pay for the video? Sounds interesting. Let me know what happens. A few days later, he goes, okay, how much you need? And I think I had a check in my account within two days. Wow. So they really stepped up, and if it wasn't for them, the video probably wouldn't have been made. Mm. And we know for a fact that we it's probably a whole lot more, but we know of at least five or six babies that have been saved as a result of the video, but there's probably, probably many more. Yeah, it definitely has the potential to save a lot of lives, considering the story behind it. Let's come back to this time in just a moment. For those who may be unfamiliar with you, I'd like to talk about your music career just a little bit, and then we can come back to talk about the song. You were the lead singer for Kansas in the early 80s. What led to your getting hired to be the front man for Kansas? Um, gosh, that's a, 
<laughs> and it's kind of reaching back time. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll try and uh, I'll try and truncate it a little bit. All right. Um, we were shopping for a record deal. My brother and I, we had about four or five originals that we'd recorded in that little studio. I told you we, we converted my parents' garage in, into. Yeah. And a friend of mine, incidentally, that was from in the same band that the guy that brought me to the Lord, a guy named Mark Ambrose. Do you remember a band called <laughs> Idle Kira? I've heard the name. I don't know if I've heard any songs by them. They were they were a popular Christian rock band in the, in the mid to late 80s. And, and before, but the guitar player in that band, um, he pulls in my driveway and he's like almost speed and he couldn't wait to get out of his car. And he said, John, the original singer from Kansas left the band, Steve Walsh. He goes, you need to go for it, man. You got the perfect voice for this. I said, whoa, whoa, slow down. He said, yeah, man, you, you, you got to try and do an audition. I mean, they're auditioning people. And it's like, wow. And, you know, I didn't think in a million years I would ever be able to land that gig because, I mean, I was, I idolized Steve Walsh as, as a singer. He was my, one of my favorites, at, you know, growing up. But to cut to the chase, uh, we were using an attorney to shop our demo. And I called the attorney and I said, hey, um, do you have any way of getting a tape to the band Kansas? He says, uh, it's funny to ask that the uh, attorney that sits next to me in my office represents Kansas. Oh. So I said, you know, he had a, he had a handful of our demo. T- I said, can you give him one? You know, I'm just thinking hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Probably one in a million chance. Yeah. So I guess he went ahead and gave him the tape, and the attorney passed it on to the manager. And about a week later, I got a call from the manager. And he wanted to meet me in person, and I went up to Hollywood and met with him. And he said, "I'd like to have a couple of guys in the band have some, you know, phone conversations with you." And one thing led to another. They flew me to Atlanta. I mean, there were a lot of people auditioning. From what I hear, was Sammy Hagar and uh, oh wow, a lot of uh, a lot of people auditioned for the gig. And mm. I flew to Atlanta, and we rehearsed mostly my songs. They wanted to they wanted to hear my songs. Because they needed more songs for the album, they were getting ready to start. And um, I was there about a week. And one day I came in. They said, "You got the gig. Welcome to the band." I was like, "What?" And uh, it was really a big part of <laughs> a huge part of my life. I mean, it, it really, it really, it really set me up for a lot of things that I've done since. Yeah, which is you know, there's a lot in between then and now hmm. so that's how that happened I mean we had two uh, I had two top ten singles with those guys and um, quite remarkable yeah I actually just recently heard your two Kansas albums for the first time because I've been looking for for those two CDs uh, Vinyl Confessions and Desperate Measures for a long time but it was out of print for quite some time and so very expensive to get the CDs but they were recently from what I found on Amazon reprinted on CD so I was able to pick up a couple copies and and listen to them so they've been reissued on Epic Classics and there's a Hmm. company out of Europe that has uh, packaged those two CDs together and it's all fulfilling. And so then how did you end up getting the gig singing for the Jay Seculo band? 
all that. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of time went by in between the Kansas years and the Jay Secular band. Uh, I mean, a lot of years. But and it's I'd be glad to answer your question. You know what? That happened by John Schlitt, the singer in Tetra, called me and and he said. Um, he said, Jay Secular is a, a friend of mine, and I was telling him about you, and Jay asked if I would bring you by. He'd like to meet you. And I said, yeah. You know, we, we, we set up a date like for a week later, and John and I met for lunch, and then he took me over to Jay's office where Jay does his radio program from. He's he since moved. Um, and I met Jay and just really, really – took a liking to him and I think he took a liking to me and when he was done with his radio show he, he called in a couple of guys in his office that played instruments and you know we just started singing a couple of tunes and, and you know it was just it was just uh, it started out just as a a fun thing that Jay would do after his radio show mm. you know just as kind of a stress relief you know yeah so he said, hey, man, you want to come out again Friday? Well, you know, I want to put you on the show. Let's talk about because my new album really had just come out, On My Way to the Sun, which is the song this time appears on. Mm. And so he goes, you know, I'd be glad to, to plug the record and the song and tell people about the video and this and that. And So we got to the point where, you know, we, we were kind of getting together and just jamming every couple of weeks. It wasn't that serious. He would, he would tape some of the little jams we did and, and, and play them in the bumpers of him on his radio show. And, you know, one thing led to another, and then we started making a couple of serious videos. Um, he had another place in his office where he had uh, multi-camera shoots. And so, you know, we started, you know, this became like a, almost, you know, we'd get together almost every Monday night or Tuesday night or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, rehearse a little bit, and whatever song kind of surfaces the best, we would do a video to. And we just started getting more serious and more serious and more serious. And we started doing a couple of live shows, and uh, we added Mark Townsend uh, to the band, who was with DC Talk. And Mark, Mark became the music director of the band. It's certainly something I didn't want to do. I mean, it was just I like I like showing up and singing. I mean, when you meet the music director, it's just so much work, mm. you know. And Mark's really yeah. really highly technical as, as well, and I'm not really that technical of a guy. Mm. Still, so we, we you know we formed a band and, and found the right keyboard player and John Lowry that was with Fetcher as well, mm. and um, it started getting a lot more serious and. Probably a lot of people hate me for doing that too, but uh, I don't really care. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I mean, Jay's, you know, Jay, Jay, Jay's doing some remarkable things in the pro life, hmm. in the in the pro life realm. I mean, just I, I get his newsletter every day, and he's on it every day. Man, that guy is really, really dedicated to this mission. Yeah, I just recently 
discovered Jay Sekulow band. I was really surprised to see that he had gotten so many uh, well-known and great musicians for his band, you know, with you and the two guys from Petra and Mark Townsend from DC Talk. And DC Talk was actually the first band I'd ever discovered in the Christian realm. I didn't even know there was such a thing as Christian rock until a friend showed me the Jesus Freak song in, uh, in 1999. And at that point, I remember hearing a lot of your solo material on the radio, which is why it kind of surprises me to hear that that you can't find a Christian uh, radio station to play this time because it's too controversial. But I remember hearing your songs pretty frequently back when I discovered uh, Christian rock music in, in 99. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Yes, like like you mentioned, there there are a lot of years between uh, Kansas and Jay Sekulow band. Because you, you'd mentioned that you were shopping around for a label, and then you got into Kansas at that point. Was Kansas kind of the first band that you had been with, or did you have anything prior to that? No, it's it's that's that's a whole other story. Hmm. But I'll keep it short. Um, I've been doing this since I was about twelve or thirteen years old. Okay. And I did an interview the other day, and I was I was I was telling this gentleman that when I was 14 years old, um, we got a we got a gig at Disneyland in California in the Tomorrowland stage. The one that comes up out of the ground, we would do I think four sets, four 35 minute sets a night. And I was in a band called The Brotherhood that was an extremely popular top 40 band in California. Okay. It was me, and my brother, and my two cousins. And, um, man, we did everything from weddings to, you know, uh, high school proms, I mean, junior high proms. We were, we were booked solid all the time. And, um, so I, I got a really early start doing this, you know, and started getting paid as a musician when I was as, as young as 13 years old. Mm. So it's, it didn't just start with Kansas. I mean, it was uh, we were going out heavily since I was very young. You also headed up a band called Mastodon. That was after your stint with Kansas, correct? Yeah. Mastodon, uh, after I left Kansas, I started writing a bunch of songs. And we didn't really know what to do with them at that point. So we started recording them. And we used a lot of different singers. It was kind of like an Alan Parsons project. It was, it was kind of like a studio band with many different players, Dave Amato from Mario Speedwagon, David Pack from Ambrosia, uh-huh. um, John Petitucci on bass, you know, some musicians on the who he is. And it was kind of a studio project that we released, and it, it did extremely well. In fact, uh, one was called Boscadio, and it was one of the it was one of the longest running uh, number one albums on CCM charts. I mean, ever like a hundred weeks or something. Hmm. It was just crazy. Yeah, and uh, it started getting real popular in Europe. And um, uh, somebody told me somebody told me several months ago that uh, some of those records and CDs on eBay are like as much as three hundred dollars. Huh. Yeah. But they're they're just now being reissued by by somebody out there, so and they're coming out on vinyl as well. But that you know that was interesting because we got to you know we got to use a lot of you know, we got just to hand pick our musicians you know. Mm, yeah. And it was it, that was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, and so you eventually formed a record label of your own, uh, didn't you? Uh, Pachyderm Records, I think is what you called it? Yeah. It was my brother and I. Um, yeah, we signed different artists of the years. and uh, it, it did pretty well. I mean, a lot of... Um, we really we really had a big emphasis on what bands were saying lyrically. Mm. That's really what separates the secular band from a Christian band, in my opinion. It's what you're saying lyrically. Yeah. I don't know that there's any, you know, delineation between Christian music on its own. You know, it, it has to. It, it really comes down to what the lyrics are saying. Yeah, and so your your brother, uh, his name is Dino, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so so you've basically been partnering with your brother for a long time, a few decades at least. Oh yeah, <laughs> we've been um, we've been partners since I can remember. Hmm. Way back yeah. when we were we were born in in New York, Long yeah. Island, New York, and yeah, we had we we always had a hankering to play music since we were both real real young. And incidentally, my parents weren't musical really at all. Oh. But but I, I, I like to tell the story that my parents would spin records all day long, 24-7. Mm. You're probably too young to remember when one record would, would stop and then the next one would drop down. Yeah, r- records were a little before my time. Uh, I was back in the days of cassettes. Records are back now, man. The, uh, vinyl has really, really made a comeback. That's what I hear. My siblings and I actually recently bought my mom a uh, turntable for for her birthday uh, because we heard that vinyl is coming back. So regarding the names of of the label and your band, uh, Pachyderm and and Mastodon, are these kind of a a play on on your last name, Elefante? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Kind of corny. Okay. It works. That's kind of what I kind of figured. But no, I'm totally into uh, plays on words and puns, so I I totally appreciate that. The, the names of your you know band and uh, and label after Mastodon is that when you started doing your solo career or did you have anything kind of between Mastodon well, and your you solo? Know, we had um, as we were doing Mastodon maybe even a little before is when we met up with the group Tetra. Okay. And I think we produced seven or eight Tetra records and had a tremendous amount of success with those guys. Um, I mean, they, they, Petra was, uh, I was really impressed with their ministry as a whole. And I had never, I had never seen the effect on Christian music until I met those guys, went to their shows and saw people come to the Lord. And, you know, I, I really got behind what they were doing. So mm. Dino and I kind of joined the band, if you will, not literally, but we would produce mm. their records and they, they wanted, they wanted our they wanted our sound, whatever that was. And you wrote some songs for Petra too, right? Yeah, we co wrote a lot of songs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Petra is definitely a, a band that I've come to know. And uh, Bob Herdman is a phenomenal guitar player. Some of his solos are some of my favorite solos of any rock song that I've heard. Oh, he's great. Yeah, and that's when I met yeah. up with John Schlitt. It was uh, I'll never forget. Yeah. I think it was way back in 1986 when their their singer Greg Vault had left the band hmm. and they were they were looking for a singer, kinda of like Kansas was. And Bob said, Hey, what about this guy that used to sing with Head East? He's interested in the gig. And we were down in Long Beach 
at the studio that we built. Hmm. And we flew John in. And he was a little rusty. He'd be the first one to tell you that. But yeah. he got behind the mic and uh, he had learned a few of the songs that were, that were going to be on the record. And me, me and Dino and Bob went out to dinner that night and said, well, I think he's the guy, man. He's got the right personality. He's got the right, he's got the right, he's in the right place. He's got a great voice and he really wants to serve the Lord. I think he's the right guy. So, mm. you know, 30 years later or whatever, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how much, how active Petra is, but I think he still does a couple of gigs with him here and there. Yeah. I, I'd heard after they, after they split up, after the Jekyll and Hyde record that they got back together to do some touring with, with Greg Volts back as the, as the front man. Right. I haven't heard anything from them uh, recently though. No, John Schlitz making, making a, a good amount of solo records, which are really good. Hmm. But, uh, I think Petra just kind of ran its course. You know, it's, uh, yeah. as you know, in the last 10, 15 years, the record business has changed a lot. Yeah, digital downloads now are the way that uh, music has gone. Yeah. I have an 18-year-old son. They're all into, uh, they all have Spotify, and that's, that's mainly what they use. Yeah, and I'm I'm definitely one, one of the uh, music purists. I, I prefer to have the, you know, the original CD with the insert and everything. I'll do digital if there's no other alternatives, but I definitely prefer to have the physical copy. You know, it's funny, when, when I put out my last record, um, I offer digital downloads on my website and most of the people would write to me because my, my email address is, is on my website. They'd say, no, no, we want the CD. We want to read the credits and old school stuff, you know, and I quickly realized that, that my fan base were the same as what you're describing. They want to feel it and touch it and read it and get into it, you know. I mean, yeah. a digital download doesn't allow you to do that. That's why I'm excited for this record to be coming out on on, on vinyl because it's going to be big and the artwork's going to be, you know, the size of a, a full LP. Mm-hmm. So you're releasing On My Way to the Sun on vinyl? Yeah, and it's uh, it should be out in a few months. Uh, some of the pressing plants around the world are like, there's like a two-month wait to even get started on your project. That's how popular they've become. Oh, wow. Who were some of your inspirations as a musician and a songwriter? Golly. Um, I, I go, I go so far. I mean, I, I go, I go so far this way and that way. Um, I mean, I go all the way from classical music, to oh, wow. pop music growing up. I used to love, I used to love the Jackson five. Mm. Uh, Chicago, you know, I didn't, we were listening to Chicago and the Eagles, Elton John, um, Genesis, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> I mean, I would just go all the way across the spectrum. I mean, anything good, I, 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 I hooked on to. Yeah, I'll never forget when I heard. I'll never forget when I heard the first Boston record. I was just, yeah. it absolutely blew my mind. I'd never heard anything like that. I can definitely relate to Boston. Uh, fabulous, fabulous band. Do you have any favorite classical composers? Um, I like Rachmaninoff a lot. Um, 
you know, a lot of times I'll listen to classical and I'm, I won't even I won't even check to see who it is, but because I I have a playlist on my on my phone, it's all classical. Yeah, and love to listen to it when I just really want to wind down. Mm. And you know, it's, it's probably I probably should have a better answer for you on, on who's doing what, but um, I usually don't even look to see who it is. I just I just love it. Do you play uh, any classical, or is it mainly uh, contemporary styles that you play? No, I don't really play much classical, but there's a lot of cla- mm. classical influence, okay. I think, in songs that I write. Mm. Because, you know, especially, there's a lot of classical influence in the Kansas stuff. Different time changes, and, you know, and mm. I kind of cut my teeth on that, and I think it's it's definitely, it's, you can definitely hear that influence in songs that I write. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird story how I first got introduced to to Kansas. Uh, my dad and my mom were always into classic rock, but n- not into prog rock. And so I got into high school, and I was in the marching band. And one of our pep tunes was "Carry On, Wayward Son." I had no idea it was a classic rock song until I heard it on the radio, and then uh, I really enjoyed it. Went out and checked out a lot more of uh, Kansas's music, and was just kind of hooked once I started listening. So I was first introduced to it as a pep band uh, tune. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Great yeah. band. I mean, it was such, such an honor to be a part of them. When I was with them, it was all the original guys. I was dry left and Carrie Livgren left. Mm. The the band had, you know, that that was that was it for the original Kansas. I mean, obviously, I wasn't an original, but I was with all the original guys other than me. Mm. Right. So it was that was. Uh, I'll never forget doing shows. I mean, you know, hundreds of shows with them. It was uh, every night was a rush. So much music coming off the stage, and so some of the songs are just so um, incredibly interesting to listen to, and just to hear the band be able to pull it off live, just like the record, just just blew my mind. Yeah, and so I, th- I think I read that you actually had some of the Kansas musicians play on your record on my way to the sun. Yeah. Uh, this, on my way to the sun, uh, I had Rich Williams, the guitar player, mm. and David Ragsdale, the uh, the violin player. Mm. And the record before that, um, a record called Revolution of Mind, and carries all over that one. Oh, cool. Business is all over that one. Yeah, so you, so you still keep in touch with the guys that you played with in Kansas then? Yeah, yeah, I do. Probably mostly Carrie. Mm. That's uh Terry's doing a cantata, and um, I'll probably after this phone call, I'll get back down there and, and uh, sing some of the, the. He wants me to sing a couple of songs on the guitar on the cantata. Oh, which he's been working. Yeah. He's been working for gets this forty plus years. So, Lord willing, one so, of these days it'll come out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd definitely be interested in, in hearing that. I'm definitely very much a fan of Carrie's uh, uh, songwriting too. So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this time. You mentioned that this time you, you didn't really write it as a pro-life song or to make a pro-life statement, but more just to kind of tell the story of how she came about. And so, so well, this I is. Thought, uh, I, thought that, I thought that was the most honest way to do it, because if you if you set out to write specifically a pro-life song, there's a chance it could it could it could come out somewhat contrived. But I had a mm. story that was real. Yeah. 
you know, I mean, what what a better way to do it than tell a story that's real, that has a, hevel, a heavily pro-life influence mm. to a real story. I mean, it was it was the perfect marriage. So, so that way people won't feel so much that you're preaching to them, but will kind of relate to the the events that happened and what this woman went through and things like that. Exactly. I'll never forget the, you know, I'll never forget the birth mother telling me the story. And, um, you know, it stuck in my mind. It, it, it was like, when I wrote the song, I could hear her words. And she, you know, she was only a young girl. She was, she was 13 years old, like the, like the song said. You know, and she would stumble over her words a little bit when she would tell me that as she was telling me the story, it was, it was just so impactful that, you know, she tried to, she, she, she wanted to abort my daughter, Sammy. And she tried and she went into an abortion clinic somewhere. And, um, you know, she, she got scared. Not so much at the time about having an abortion, but she got scared, you know, when they laid her on the table and she's looking around at all these instruments and I guess she started to really get frightened and um, she wanted out of there. So as, as you see in the video, she made her way to a phone and called her mom and her mom didn't know she was pregnant. And her, her mom said, where are you at? And she told her and she said, get out of there right now. Yeah. Just get out of there and wait, wait for me in the street and I'll come pick you up. And you know, as, as the video shows, I mean, it's just the way it happened. The events that occurred in the video then are the events that really happened. It hasn't really been embellished for storytelling purposes. No, mm. it, it, it uh, you know, there, there is some, there has always has to be a little creative license in, 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 in parts of the video that you don't know, you know, for instance, mm you know, where it took place. And I mean, I'm sure all that's is different, but yeah. um, that's exactly how I remember being told. Yeah. And it was definitely God's will for, you know, it to happen that way. There's no doubt, no doubt in my mind. And by the way, I'm proud to say that I've got a granddaughter now. Um, my daughter, Sammy, now I have a two year old who's yeah. my granddaughter. Oh, cool. So there you go, man. It's like, well, at least if, if her birth mother would have taken a wrong turn in that clinic, neither yeah. one of them would be here. Yeah. And, and so I'm assuming uh, Sammy has heard the song. Oh, yeah. Gosh, yeah. She loves sharing it with people. She yeah. doesn't care who she shares it with. I mean, she's a hairdresser. Yeah. And um, okay. when, when she when she was in cosmetology school, she would she would show it to all her friends. They didn't care what they thought about pro-choice, pro-life. Yeah. Hey, this is my story. Check it out. You know, I don't care whether you like it or not. Here it is. So she knows then that she, that her mom had considered abortion. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. I mean, you know, if this is too personal, you know, you can feel free not, not to answer. I'm just kind of curious. A woman who almost aborts her child kind of seems like that'd be something difficult to talk to the child about. And when Sammy found out, did she take the news pretty well? Or I guess I'm kind of asking that if there are people who are listening who might be in a similar situation, is there something you, or do you have like any advice as far as how to kind of relate this information to the child well, if you don't want to keep it from her or... Um, 
I think how I can answer that question. You have to kind of look at the whole picture. You know, my daughter first found out when she was fairly young that she was adopted. You know, you, you can't mm-hmm. lay that on somebody until they're ready to accept that, you know. Right. And the fact that she was almost aborted but wasn't um, doesn't bother her because she's mm. she feels special. I mean, she really does feel special that, you know, her mother chose life and that her mother chose adoption and that she's, you know, a very well-adjusted, you know, she, I think she's 25 or 26 now. Gosh. <laughs> 26. Um, she, she really feels special. She feels special that, like I said, that her mother chose life and that her mother chose abortion. I mean, not a mother chose not to abort and that her mother chose adoption. I mean, it's she, yeah, she's taken it very well. She tells the story all the time, the whole story. Yeah. And that was her talking at the end of the video, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. She she has a heart. She really has a heart for this. And I, I tell her once in a while, I said, God's going to call you one of these days, you know, to really dive into the pool, so to speak. Yeah, she says, "I know, and I'm going to be ready when that happens." Yeah. But now that she's the mother of a two-year-old, it's a, it's a little little more difficult. But she's got dad over here telling the story, so I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, and I also I also like I also like to say that um, I've heard from a lot of a lot of females that have had abortion, and it affects them throughout their entire life. I mean, there isn't. I've I've heard from women that there isn't a minute that goes by that they don't regret having that abortion, and that's extremely painful, extremely painful, and hurtful to a woman that that's had an abortion or two or three. Sometimes, you know, as many as who knows how many. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I I always I I was I figured out very early in this, this quest that. It's much easier. It's much easier to carry a child for eight or nine months, give it up for adoption, than it is to have the guilt of having an abortion in your life and having to live with that the rest of your life. Mm. You know, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. very hard for a lot of women keep it inside because they want they don't want to go spread it around. Oh, I've had two abortions. They don't necessarily want to say it. But they hold it inside, and it's very, very painful. I mean, I've heard, I've heard, I've had people come up to me at some of these speaking engagements I've done on pro-life, and yeah. they're crying. I mean, they are, they are crying when they're telling me this. You know, if I can only, if I can only do it over, if I can only do it over, you know. And then I yeah. talked, and I had talked to to birth mothers that have given their child up for adoption, and. Those are the um, success stories that I would love to hear. Those are the ones I think that relate to the video the most. Mm-hmm. That, that, that did choose life and, and, and were too young to, to parent the child and gave the child up for adoption and find out years later that you know, the child that they gave up for adoption is very well adjusted and 
you know, went to a great home. I mean, yeah. adoption is such a great alternative, man. There are so many, so many people out there, so many married couples that would love to adopt. Yeah, I'm, you know, really glad that you're willing to speak up about this issue. I know a lot of, uh, a lot of musicians don't like to really get political with their career, but uh, you know, I'm really glad that you're out there being able to help these these women who've who've been through this situation. It's. Uh... I'm uh, I'm privileged that God has, has used this situation in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's it's I've written a lot of music and I've won Grammy awards and have plenty of gold and platinum records, but I think um, this is one of my crowning achievements was to you know have the have the um, you know, have the have the ability to to have adopted, and you know, and given a child. Well, I have two adopted kids. I don't think I told you that. Three years after we adopted Sammy, the same organization where we got Sammy called and said, "How would you like to have a little boy?" He said, uh, "Sounds good." <laughs> and we we were right in the middle of a Petra record, and. My wife flew out to California, and she had to stay there and go through some some legal stuff. And we adopted my son Daniel. So you know, it, it, I almost feel like I almost feel like you know God chose us to do this, and it's like it's it's really a it's really a cool feeling, you know, that that God would would consider me, you know, able to to parent these these two children that you know. I mean, ultimately, and, 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 and this was told to me by, we, we, by the way, we adopted Sammy and Daniel from a place called House of Roots, which is run by a pastor's wife in Southern California, Calvary Chapel Downey. Hmm. House of Roots is, a, I can't tell you what an amaz- amazing organization it is. Um, they only take a small donation. They're not baby brokers. She told me once, something that was very profound and at first it hit me like what but then when you start thinking about it 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 it, it, it's very true she said god she said adoption is not god's first will god you know god loves adoption and very very much for it but god's perfect will is for a, a child to be born to a mother and a father and at first that struck me a little strange that she would say that but after I thought about it, I thought, well, no, she's right. It's not God's perfect will. It's, you know, it, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't want to confuse you by saying that, but it's, um, it, it, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I don't yeah. quite know how to explain, I don't, I don't quite know how to get the words out that I'm trying to say, but it's, it's a very good option. Extremely good option that you know that I advocate. Yeah, I definitely am fully in favor of, of adoption. And, you know, I, I agree with the uh, pastors who said that too, that it's not the perfect situation, but in a bad situation where the parents are unable to raise a kid, I think it's a, I think it's a good alternative for that situation. Oh, yeah, it's a fabulous alternative. 
What has been the general reaction from fans and the public then about the song and the video? You mentioned some of the some of the negative uh, backlash you've got, but what's kind of been the overall general reaction from people about the song and video? Extremely positive. Extremely. There's no in between. There's no like, yeah, it's okay. They either absolutely love it and share it with everybody they know, or they absolutely hate it. There's a guy that hated it so much when I put out the video that he made his own video. Oh. And it, it, it was directly pointed at me. And this, you know, the guy's using the most foul language you've ever heard. Mm. And he's just, I mean, the, the hate and the vitriol coming from this person. Yeah. I don't even know if he still has it up. Um, it might be. But it's absolutely disgusting. When I saw it, it just turned my stomach. And this guy took the time to make this video. That's, I mean, that's that's how much he hated, he hated out. Yeah, and you know the reason I was asking about the story as depicted in the video is true. Not that I was doubting that it was true, but I know a lot of times pro-choice people will often think that pro-life people are kind of lying about how we talk about about abortion. And so I just kind of wanted to to kind of lay that out there, and that you know the the story as depicted. You know, there's probably some a little bit of a poetic license taken but in general that was how it happened and so it was just my main motivation for that because i've you know i, I have a lot of conversations with uh, with pro-choice people and when you when you see a movie like uh, unplanned or gosnell that kind of talk about what goes on often they'll have these accusations yeah i know exactly what you mean yeah well uh we're actually coming up to the the end of our time together here do you have any any projects going on now that you'd like to promote uh, I'm doing some work with, with Kerry Lizard, not only the Cantata, but I'm also doing some stuff for one of his solo records that hopefully will soon be released. I'm going to start another okay. solo record myself. Hmm. Because of the song this time, On My Way to the Sun was very successful. Hmm. I mean, to, to today's standards of, of record sales, if you want to use that as a barometer, it hmm. did very well. And I, I, I think a lot of it and, and, and who knew when I wrote that song that it would be, you know, the, who knew that it would be the most important song on that record, but mm. it really catapulted that record, you know, and yeah. praise God that it did because then, you know, people got, got to hear the other nine songs as well. Right, right. Yeah, and I'll I'll post a link in the uh, show notes also to the organizations that, that you mentioned here, the uh, Human Coalition and House of Ruth. Yeah, in case anyone has some you know further inquiries about them, especially because House of Ruth is doing really good work in adoption, uh, and I'll also post a link to where they can uh, to your website where they can find your your albums. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, I really appreciate uh, appreciate you giving your time, and like I said, I've I've been a fan of Kansas and of you for a while, and so I'm you know I I just I'm just really uh really an honor for me to be able to interview you on my show. I appreciate it. It was, a, it was a pleasure to talk to you. If you enjoyed my interview with John Elefante today, I would just ask that you share this around social media. You can rate us on iTunes, on our Facebook page, and other places you find us. You can also find us on blogtalkradio.com slash prolifethinking. And of course, give us a review if you'd like. Uh, we don't always receive notifications when we receive reviews, but I've been checking a lot more recently in case certain people have uh, 
recommendations for the show. And so we'll be touching on some of those uh, in the future. And now this is a weekly podcast, and it takes a lot of work to put together a podcast each week on top of all the other work that I do in the pro-life movement. As Greg Cunningham of Center for Bioethical Reform says, there are a lot more people working to kill unborn babies full-time than there are people working to save them full-time. I subsist off of donations from financial supporters. People like you keep me being able to do the work that I do. If you like what we're doing with this podcast and would like to support my work as a full-time pro-life advocate, you can go to www.prolife.com training.com and click on donate in the menu on the top. You can give a one-time gift or you can give a monthly gift. Just be sure to put my name in the notes section so that Life Training Institute knows to put your donation into my account. And donations are also tax deductible. And if you'd like to donate to this podcast specifically, then also indicate that in the notes as well. Now, uh, John has been gracious enough to allow me to close the show out today by playing his song this time. I think it's a really great song. I would encourage you to go download it if you can, or just buy, buy the whole album, too. Yeah, I'm going to play the song, and I will put in the show notes a location where you can buy the song or where you can buy the album. And I'll post a link to John's website, as, as well as the other websites that I indicated here. So once again, I'd like to thank John for joining me with this interview, and I'd like to thank you, the listener, for listening in. And uh, we'll see you next time. Frightened and all alone Watched the clock tick down Knowing that her baby would soon be gone Her head slung low, so embarrassed She was 13 years old She felt a kick inside as a reminder Of a life she couldn't show Then she heard a voice inside saying Run away It was a mistake She fell into a light sleep Had a dream about a little girl There was a birthday cake and three candles She was living in another world She saw the little girl become a woman Living in a happy home Then she was suddenly awakened By a voice that called her name They said, don't worry She laid flat on the table She asked, please, can I talk to someone? But a headstrong woman with a blank stare Said, we've got to get this done Then she cried out loud, please help me I've got to get to a phone I need to call my mama To help me find my baby a home They said, don't worry
taking her this time. No, you're not taking her this time. No, you're not taking love this time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.